I'm going to call just a little bit of an audible this evening. As I was sitting there and hearing some children chatter, I thought, man, there's, there's a lot of children here. I love that about this church. So I have, I told you the other, I think last night it was that I, I love stories. And there's, there's this story that I heard when I was a kid. Uh, I believe it, the, the name of the music group was the Matthews Family. Dave Matthews, I, maybe that's a whole different singer, I don't know. But the Matthews family, and they told this baseball story, and I was, I was big into Little League baseball. I loved it, and I was just tuned in, and I memorized that whole story. I probably put some of my own twists on it by now. I don't know, but I still say, I, I, I hadn't planned this, so I think I can pull this off, but children, if you would come up front here, I want to tell you a story this evening, all right? I don't know, there's a, there's a bunch of you. I don't know if you can fit on these uh, front couple, couple benches here, but let's try it. <clears throat> you know what, I might just stay right up here that way, otherwise you'll be kind of out on the, the end there. <clears throat> All right, this is awesome. You know, I heard, I heard that uh, there was prayers that started being prayed in this church for children. I think I heard that about Glenn when he was uh, pastoring. I'm going to say, church, you start praying that for our church back in Ohio, okay? We, we, we need some children. I mean, what a blessing that is. Okay, kids, how many of you like baseball? Any of you, anybody like baseball? You like pl- playing ball? All right, some of you do, great, because this is a baseball story. All right, here we go. Every boy loves games, I guess. Me, I was no different. I loved all of them, football, basketball, baseball, especially baseball. Oh, the times we had. Now, I was not so big and not so strong as some of the boys I knew, and and I couldn't hit the ball the way they could, but oh, how I love to play the game. You're looking for a seat, aren't you there, buddy? You want to sit right there? There you go. I, I was not so big, not so strong as some of the boys, but, but oh, how I love to play the game, especially when my dad was there. Now, he seemed to have a real knack for making the game so much more exciting, and it seemed I could hit the ball a little further and run just a little bit faster when he was there. Now, I'll never forget one very special game. The first time I ever played in a regular game, I guess, my dad said something to me like this. He said, son, now when you get up to bat, you be sure and look the pitcher right in the eye. Look him right in the eye. He may look awfully big and mean, and he's going to throw you some mighty wicked-looking balls, but don't let him scare you, son. Don't let him scare you. Just stand your ground, and you'll hit that ball. Well, alas, my turn came to bat. My knees were shaking a little. I took the bat and stepped up to the plate and looked out at the pitcher, and sure enough, he did look awfully big and mean, just like my dad had said. Well, he took the ball in one hand and grinned at me kind of sly-like and reared back and let one fly. Fastball. I barely saw it go by. Stepped back up to the plate, and I heard my dad saying, come on, son, watch him. You can do it. The pitcher started stretching for another throw. Inside curve. I swung as hard as I could. I missed. Strike two. But I heard my dad saying, come on, son, hang in there. Watch him. You can do this. So I stepped back up to the plate, looked out at the pitcher, and I watched the ball coming closer and closer, and I just sort of froze my eyes to it, and I swung. I didn't even see it go. I just heard the crack of wood against leather, and I knew I connected. Man, excited I was. I headed for first base, and then second, and I could hear voices saying, come on, run, come on. I passed third base, my feet hardly touching the ground, and then I saw my father standing over beyond home plate, and I heard him say, come on, son. Come on home, son. You can make it. Come on. A home run. My very first time at bat and a home run. You know, those, 
memories are very dear to me, but I've come to the realization of an even greater truth. That is that the game of baseball is a lot like life itself. Only in the game of life, we're playing for keeps. Now, sometimes, sometimes I'm looking the devil right in the eye in the most crucial game of all, and he's just throwing me a mean one fast and a little low. And then he gets ready to throw me another one, and it's coming at me, a curve, and I swing, and I miss. But it seems I can hear a voice saying, come on, son, hang in there. You can do this. And then he starts stretching for another throw, and I know this is it. I know this is it. I swing, and I know I've connected, and it seems I'm running as fast as I can toward first base and second, and I can hear voices saying, come on, run, come on. And I pass third base, and I just want to run faster and faster because I know that home is not far away. And it seems I can almost see my heavenly Father waiting for me, and I can hear him say, come on, son. Come on home, son. You can make it. Come on. I wonder how many of you have dads that just love you. You love your dad. Your dad loves you. You know what? You have a heavenly father that loves you even more than your daddy does. Can you believe that? And even if you wouldn't have a daddy that loves you, you have a heavenly father that loves you more than you could possibly ever know. And I want to tell you, whatever comes along in life, and sometimes, kids, you know what? Some things happen that we don't understand and we don't like and we don't know what to do with. But remember this, you have a heavenly father that will always be there for you. Never leave you or forsake you. And he's going to be cheering you on. Come on. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. You can do this. You can make it. All right? God bless you. You can go back to your parents. I actually told that story a lot of times to prisoners in, when I was with the Gospel Echoes back in the day in prison ministry. That was fun, but I think I like telling it to kids even better than prisoners. Well, we've been talking about encountering Jesus on our journey of transformation. And I was reminded this evening in our prayer time why we need to encounter Jesus. Someone prayed something along the lines of, it probably wasn't exactly these words, but something along the lines of, you know, good ideas don't change us. Pep talks don't change us. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to encounter Jesus, because that's what changes us. That's what does something in our lives that changes us for the better. We need to encounter Jesus. Well, feels kind of like we could hardly do a, a series on encountering Jesus on our journey of transformation without talking about the Apostle Paul, or Saul, and his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So let's jump right in. We have a lot of ground to cover tonight. I'm going to start reading from Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to go ahead and read the story. And I know you've heard this story a hundred times, um, but can we listen tonight with ears like we're hearing this for the first time, saying, Jesus, what do you want to say to us in this? Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. What do we learn here? What do we see in this encounter with Jesus that Saul had? I think the first thing I see is that encountering Jesus interrupts your agenda. And let me say that again another way. We need to encounter Jesus because we need to have our agenda interrupted. Now, I doubt there's anyone in this room tonight that has the agenda of persecuting the church and persecuting Christians like Saul did. But I have a feeling there's some agendas in this room that need to be interrupted. We all get caught up in this kind of chasing the American dream or whatever it might be. Or we get tied up in these agendas of church life or, 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 or Christianity, whatever it might be. And, and, and Jesus interrupt our agendas to replace it with your own. Encountering Jesus interrupts your agenda. Let's talk about Saul for a little bit. A rich heritage, a Jew among Jews, born into the tribe of Benjamin, well-educated, was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, one of Israel's greatest teachers of the day. In, in looking back at this, I... I discovered that Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel, who was the leader of one of the two main opposing schools of, of, of in, in the Jewish tradition, and they kind of had different ideas, but it, I don't know, maybe it was kind of like the Harvard of the day and whatever other school there would be, but this is, this is what, what Saul, Paul, was raised in. So he had a pedigree. He was ambitious, advancing among the ranks of the Pharisees. His desire, his tenacity, and his ability was unmatched. And thank God, God used that kind of bulldog nature and character for the good. He was very religious, blameless according to the law of Moses, a Pharisee among Pharisees, zealous for the faith of his fathers, full of kind of venom towards anyone who would threaten his faith. Anyone who would oppose, anyone who would follow this Jesus who was, he was loyal. 
It says he sought out permission and, and approval of the high priest before he acted. He was convinced that he was carrying out God's will. <laughs> oh. And even if you believe you're carrying out God's will, sometimes that agenda needs to be interrupted because we just miss it sometimes. So here goes Saul on his way to Damascus with an agenda. But that agenda was interrupted when he met Jesus. A couple things to note. When God wants to interrupt your agenda, he will use whatever means necessary to do so. And as I was going over this again today and digging into this again today, it struck me, we, we can't understand how a God who last night loves you enough to let you go, he will not force you to follow him is the same God who he will do whatever he wants to interrupt your agenda, to try to bring you back to him. Wow. We, we can't wrap our minds around this, this grace and truth and this holy and just and absolutely merciful God. That's why we need the word and the, the broad picture of God because there's, there's so, so many pictures that we must see of God and, and I don't think we'll ever fully understand. I know we won't ever fully understand it until we're in heaven. But here we see that God will use whatever means he chooses to, whatever necessary to interrupt our agenda. For some, it might be a near-death experience. Have you ever heard anyone say, God really got my attention through that. I've said it myself. Being confronted with the personal realization that, you know, life is short and that we won't live forever has a way of interrupting our agenda and getting our attention and helping us figure out what's really important in life. Now, hear me on this. Not every ailment we have, not, not every accident we have is Jesus trying to get our attention, but we at least need to be open to him because he often uses those things to get our attention in a way that is needed. And God is the master of redemption. How many times has he turned something that in our minds is considered to be tragic circumstances and he somehow redeems that and turns that around into a life calling for a person who, who then is filled with compassion and able to minister to other people in the same situation. It's just an amazing God who's able to do that. For Saul, when he encountered Jesus, there was the short-term interruption to his agenda. I mean, he was going to persecute followers of Jesus, and that got interrupted. It's kind of hard to carry that out. When you encounter Jesus in the way he did and you're blind, how are you going to go on and do that? So there's that short-term interruption, but there was also the long-term agenda interruption. I mean, his life mission was to keep the faith pure and persecute all those followers of Jesus, and God totally changed his life mission. into bringing the Gentiles and Jews and whoever into faith in this Jesus who he was persecuted. And I, I say, Lord, interrupt our agenda in that way. Take agendas that are totally going in the direction of fulfilling my dreams, my purposes, turn them around, interrupt that agenda, give us a whole new agenda where we are about the kingdom where our lives are consumed with kingdom work, where we recognize that this life is so short. Why do we invest so much in, in everything in this life when eternity is out there? Oh, God, give us perspective. Interrupt our agendas. Make us about the kingdom, not about our kingdom.
In retelling the story before King Agrippa, Paul talks in a little more detail about this agenda interruption. Acts 26, he's before Agrippa, he's he's telling the story, talking about how he was convinced that I should do everything possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's what I did in Jerusalem, he says, on the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many times I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I mean, he says, I was obsessed about this. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief, chief priests. And he says, that's about noon. I was on the road and I saw this light from heaven and that encounter happened. And then I love what he says here. He doesn't say that in Acts chapter 9, we don't, we actually see it in the King James, but there's a little note that said this one in the, in the actual text. But here, when he retells the story, it is, is actually in the, in the original text. He says that Jesus says to him, or the, this voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So encountering Jesus interrupts our agenda, and if we ignore it and we continue on with our own agenda, it's going to cause some pain in our lives. It's going to hurt. It's going to be detrimental to us. What's a goad? Think a cattle prodder here. It was actually like an ox goad, a sharp object to goad the oxen into moving. And if an ox would kick against that goat, ouch, that would hurt. <laughs> that, uh, kicking against that sharp object. This phrase, it is hard for you to kick against the goads, comes from a metaphor that was not actually found in Jewish writings. It was common in Greek and Roman writings. For example, one such ancient Greek explanation of this metaphor was this. If you strike the goads with your fists, your hand suffers most. (laughs) Applied in Saul's situation, I believe Jesus was telling him that if you continue fighting against the conviction of the gospel, if you can continue fighting against the conviction, my my conviction on you, my calling on you, it's going to hurt. It's going to cause you pain. It's going to be to your detriment. Friend, you may not see it at first, but when Jesus interrupts your self-centered agenda, if you ignore him and press on resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit, at some point, it's going to be like kicking against the goats. It's going to do some damage in your life. If God has interrupted your agenda, stop and consider if he's trying to get your attention, how he's trying to get your attention. If he's trying to get your attention, if he's trying to interrupt your agenda and you ignore it, the pain is going to go up. It, it strikes me how in some ways the same but then totally reversed our agenda is and God's agenda. If we commit ourselves fully to God's agenda, we're sold out, we're all in on God's agenda, it's, we're going to experience suffering and pain. We are. Because we are called to suffer with Christ. But that suffering is temporary. And it actually leads to fulfillment and eternal joy. Our agenda is exactly the opposite when our agenda doesn't line up with God's agenda. Our agenda is pleasurable for a season, temporarily, right now. It's what we want. (laughs) But what does it lead to? It leads to pain, separation. The opposite of eternal joy. Encountering Jesus interrupts your agenda But that's a good thing. 
That's a really good thing. We need to encounter Jesus. We need our agenda interrupted and replaced with his. Something else we see here. Encountering Jesus positions you to hear the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd. We need to encounter Jesus because we need to know the voice of our shepherd. Prior to this, uh, let, let me read verses five and six. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Prior to this, Saul had not really heard the voice of God. He had listened only to the voice of religion. But now he heard a different voice. He heard the voice of the good shepherd, a voice with power and authority that shook him to the core. The same voice had spoken the world into existence. The same voice had called to Adam in the garden. The same voice had spoken to Moses on Mount Sinai. The same voice called to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The same voice spoke to Lazarus and raised him from the dead. The same voice cried out, it is finished on the cross as he paid the price of redemption. This same voice will someday say to you and me, if we remain faithful to him, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the voice of our shepherd. We need to encounter Jesus in a way that gets us to know and hear the voice of our shepherd. You can sit in church all your life and only listen to what others say about Jesus, about their faith, about their relationship with God. Or you can encounter him in ways that you come to know his voice and hear his voice. Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What did he mean by that? How does he speak to us? How do we hear the voice of the good shepherd? I think it's important for us to lean into this question. And I would say first of all and foremost, we hear the voice of our shepherd through his word. I mention this first intentionally because I believe it is, it is and will always be the number one way that Jesus speaks to us. The benchmark, if you will, of the authenticity of us hearing the voice of the shepherd. If someone tells me, I, Jesus told me this, I, God told me this, and it is out of line with what the word of God says, his written word, my response is something to the effect of, I don't think that's Jesus that you are hearing. Here's the thing, quite frankly, if we are too lazy or we are too undisciplined to get into his word, to take that time to dig in, I don't think Jesus is gonna do a whole lot of speaking to us. We want him to send us a text or write something in the sky, but we're too undisciplined to get into his letter that he has written to us. How important is his word? How powerful is his word? Look at what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter three. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That is powerful. His word is powerful and I love that That imagery breathed out by God. It's it's the message of the good shepherd coming to us. It's 100% reliable and it's profitable to teach us, to help us, to correct us, and to show us how to live our lives. It speaks to us. When we embrace his word, when we can say, you know, in spite of my doubts or 
not being able to understand this particular passage or not, not fully grasping this, it, when we say, in spite of that, I believe this is God's word and it's totally reliable, it positions us in a way that our faith opens the door for the Holy Spirit to just make that scripture come alive in our lives and enlighten us. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. I've experienced that to be true. There are certain verses that I, I, I don't know, I probably read them a hundred times. And then one time, one day, I'm reading that verse and boom, it speaks to me something I'm going through that day, a decision I have in front of me that day. I remember a, a passage of scripture in Psalms and I don't even remember the exact verse now. But I was struggling, I was struggling with something and it was a temporal thing, it was taxes. And, and I had, I had, we had a, this tax guy in our community, he was offering free tax service to pastors. And I found out he didn't know about pastor's taxes and how they were supposed to work. I had been doing my own taxes and, and I actually knew and he, he did, did them his way and thought he was being, doing me a big favor by this huge refund. And I knew it wasn't right. But I mean, he's the tax man. And that particular day, I opened up, there was a passage in Psalms about integrity and a pure heart, one of David's, you know. I, I absolutely have no choice but to do what I know is right. That happens when we seek to encounter God in his word and we say, God, speak to us. He'll take that letter that he wrote to us, whatever that, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't put a high beam out there and try to, you know, shine something that'll get us three years down the road. I mean, sometimes, he, I mean, there's things for our whole life, but he loves to speak into our lives, to give us light for that day. This is what you're facing. Here's my word. I'm speaking to you. So Jesus wants to speak to you through his word. A second way that he speaks to us is through those he is called to preach and teach. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Now, there are a lot of good preachers out there. A lot of preachers that can hold your attention, can make you laugh, can make you cry, can make you say, yeah, that's right, amen, preach it, brother. But how do you know if God is speaking to you through this person that he has called to preach and teach? One way is that when a person is speaking, if there comes this moment where you feel, he is talking to me. He knows nothing about me, what I'm going through, but I'm pretty sure that this message is speaking to me. And somebody two benches back has that exact same thought. It's the Holy Spirit taking what a pastor is saying or a preacher is saying, and he's making that alive to you. He's speaking. That's the voice of the good shepherd speaking into your life. And that's exciting for a preacher to have that kind of responsibility and blessing, but you know what I always remind myself of? God also spoke through a donkey. <laughs> so Jesus wants to speak to us first and foremost through his word, the Bible, and he speaks to us through those he has called to teach and preach. And, and let me just add other people as well. There have been times I've been sitting across from a person across the table from a person drinking a cup of coffee and 
I mean, just like those times in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a message or listening to a sermon. And let me tell you, you have a pastor who is one of those preachers who I hear him and I say, he's talking to me. He preached at our church a year and a half ago or so. And I just kind of melt inside. It's like God breaks down those walls and speaks. But you know what? That's happened to me sitting across the table from somebody over a cup of coffee. And they begin to speak into my life, and I know it's not just their words. It's the words of the good shepherd. And you know, even sometimes he uses people that we would never expect. I remember this is when I lived in Florida, and I went down to Sarasota to visit one of my friends who, I mean, his, his life was a mess. He'd made a mess of things. His marriage ended. He was addicted. He had struggled with addictions. He was an alcoholic. His life was a mess. We met for supper, went out on the coast, and sitting at this little cool little restaurant out on the, on the bay there, and start talking about his life, and then he's asking me questions about me, and I'm a pastor. And I somehow, for whatever reason, opened up to him about some struggles, and I, I think he started prying a little bit. Like, I was in one of those seasons where I felt like I was really cheating my wife and my children of, of time and ministry that I needed to. And this guy got in my face about it. <laughs> and my first reaction when he started getting in my face about it was, I didn't say this out loud, but inside I was thinking, who are you to tell me anything? Your life is messed up. But I listened. And God hit me. And I knew that in the voice of this messed up friend of mine was the voice of Jesus saying something that I needed to hear. I needed to listen to. Jesus also wants to speak to us through thoughts and impressions from the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Over supper tonight, I heard it's an amazing testimony of God speaking, not in an audible voice, but in something that was so clear. Did you know he can put thoughts and impressions to your mind about things. I, I, I love this. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And sometimes we over-spiritualize that. I'm going to tell, tell you a story, and you might think it's crazy, and maybe it is crazy. But I, I, I tried to develop this habit with our children of always pray first. If we encounter a problem, let's pray first. Let's pray about it. Now, let me tell you, I failed a lot. A lot of times when I should have done that, I fretted and worried and stewed and tried to figure it out on my own. But this one particular time, my son John Michael was with me. We jumped in the pickup truck to go somewhere, and I turned the key, and all of a sudden, it was stuck. It was stuck. It wouldn't turn forward, wouldn't turn backward. I couldn't take the key out. I couldn't turn the truck on. We couldn't go nowhere. It was stuck. And it was one of those times when I remembered and wanted to teach my son. And I said, John Michael, I don't know what to do. Let's pray about this. So we prayed and Lord help us know what to do. And he prayed. And now I, you have to understand I am, I'm the furthest thing from a mechanic. Some of you might know what to do. I mean, I, I was jerking on the steering wheel trying to, you know, nothing. But maybe you would know this, but I didn't. And I, I looked at John Michael and I, after we got done praying and I said, you know what? This might sound kind of odd, but I think I'm supposed to beat on the steering column. Where did that come from? I don't know. I think it was Jesus. So I went and got a hammer, went bap, bap, bap on the steering column, turned the key, pulled it out, put it back in, started the pickup and we drove away. I don't know. I'm not going to stake my life on that having been Jesus, but, but it, it did strike me as I read this verse tonight. He will teach you all things. 
And let's not shortchange him into thinking that he will teach you only super spiritual things. How does he do that? How does he do these kinds of things? Whether it's helping us get a key out of an ignition or whether it's giving us the words to speak at just the right moment for our friend is going through the most difficult thing in their life. How does he do that? You know, so often we hear, we, we hear and process things because we hear it in our ears and then we process it and understand what a person is saying. I believe God has the ability to bypass our ears. He created us. And he can speak straight into putting, putting a thought or an impression in our mind. <clears throat> One more, and we could talk about more. But this takes us back to the story of Saul and Paul that Jesus speaks to us through our pain. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Now, why did I take the time to talk about this? I think this was so, such a significant part of Paul, Saul, Paul's transformation. When he encountered Jesus, his agenda was interrupted. But it was also a time of him learning the voice of the good shepherd. He didn't know it before he had to ask, who are you? Lord, he throws on Lord. And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. This was a time, this was a marker in his life of hearing the voice of the good shepherd, a voice that he would hear throughout his life in his ministry. Oh, God, help us to encounter you in such a way that we come to know your voice through your word, through the preaching of your word, through those thoughts and impressions that you put in our mind. One more this evening. Encountering Jesus interrupts our agenda and it positions us to hear his voice, and it thrusts you into Christian community. This was kind of a new one for me in this story of Paul. But God has gripped me with this. Paul's transformation happened, his encounter with Jesus, but then in the context of Christian community. Jesus didn't just transform Paul and then say, go up on the mountain now and rejoice and be with me. He said, I'm Jesus, I'm interrupting your agenda, I'm speaking you, now go and get in community. I don't, know th- I don't know that we get that, how important it is for us to be in community and how much a part of God's transformation that he wants to do in our lives is tied to that, to being in community. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him to vision And he responded, yes, Lord. And the Lord said, go to the house of Judas. And can you imagine, what? No, this guy, I know he's here to to arrest us and persecute us. And yet God orchestrates this bringing of Saul into community where that transformation would be worked out. I love this part of the story, not only because it challenges Ananias' faith, and calls him out of his comfort zone, but this idea of that Christianity is not a Lone Ranger thing. And I tell you what, when I hear people say, yeah, I believe in God, but it, you know, it's just me and Jesus. <laughs> I don't really need to do that church thing. I say, that's not, no. 
That's not what Jesus does. He meets us, transforms us, and thrusts us into community where we must live out that faith, rubbing shoulders with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you may know Jeremy Miller, he's the president of Rosedale Bible College, and I've heard him talk several times about the one another's of Scripture. There's a lot of them. Be at peace with one another. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Some translations in that last one, the bear with each other, translate it tolerate each other. And I remember Jeremy talking about that. And he said, how can we tolerate, how can we obey that scripture if we aren't rubbing shoulders with some people that we really don't like, <laughs> that really rub us the wrong way? Because if we just surround ourselves with just people that we totally like, there's not a whole lot of bearing with each other that we have to do. You get what I'm saying. You get what the word of God is saying. There is a vital connection between our relationship to the Lord and our relationship with each other. We cannot separate them. Encountering Jesus thrusts us into community. Earlier this year, after a service that I was in charge of, I got a scathing letter from a brother in Christ who is known to have a hot head and a short temper. My first reaction was, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't really dig confrontation. <laughs> My first reaction was ignore it, pretend I never got it move on with life. My second reaction, even though I'm not a confrontational kind of guy, was thinking of all the things I could write back to him of how totally, awfully he handled himself and how wrong he was. The third thing that came to my mind was bear with one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Submit. To one another. I wrote him a letter. expressing my sorrow for my part of the problem that I knew was I was part of the problem. I don't know. He didn't seem too excited about my apology. I don't know where that will go, but he's a brother in Christ. And I see my relationship with Jesus tied to my relationship with brothers and sisters like that. We can't, we can't separate it. When we encounter Jesus, truly encounter Jesus, he thrusts us into a community where we work it out. 
with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, we've covered a lot of ground tonight. I think it's time to land the plane. We need to encounter Jesus because we need our agendas interrupted and replaced with his agenda. If that's you, don't ignore him. Don't kick against it. It will be painful. It will be harmful to you if you do. Consider it wonderful when he interrupts your agenda and replaces it with his kingdom agenda. That's where fulfillment is. That's where life is. We need to encounter Jesus because we need to know the voice of our shepherd. We need to know the voice of our shepherd. There are so many voices out there, so many voices all clamoring for our attention. We need to know the voice of the Good Shepherd. Immerse yourself in His Word. Listen for His voice in those He has called to preach and teach. Pay attention to those thoughts and impressions that He puts on your mind. Get to know the voice of the Good Shepherd. Finally, we need to encounter Jesus because we need community. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Is church just something you go to? Or is church something you are deeply a part of, connected with, plugged in? practicing the one another's of scriptures even when it's uncomfortable. Don't run from these things. Embrace this encounter with Jesus where he changes your agenda, where he speaks, where he thrusts you into community and allow God to do his transforming work in you. Let's just quiet ourselves before the Lord this evening, I've said a lot of words. And I just ask you to open yourself up to the Lord. Open yourself up to Him. Invite Him to speak to you. Something that we've read in His Word, something that has been shared. Ask him what's for you.